Amen, amen. Amen, amen, everybody. Come on, we're in the house of the Lord together this morning. Can we just lift up our hands and our voices for just a moment all over this place? Hallelujah. Isn't he great and greatly to be praised? He is great and greatly to be praised. He is awesome and holy. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place today, oh, God. Lord, we thank you that you are the mender of the brokenhearted, oh, God, that you're the healer, Lord Jesus. You are awesome and holy. You are righteous and mighty. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. I greet you all in Jesus' name. Welcome, everybody, to our first half of service. You may be seated. I'm so thankful that we get the opportunity, that, excuse me, that we have the opportunity to be together in the house of the Lord week in and week out. Amen. amen. That we have the freedom to worship the Lord. Amen. That we have the freedom to pray. Amen. That we have the freedom to praise. That we have the freedom to dance, shout, and sing hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, I'm really encouraged to see the growth in many of you. It brings me great joy to hear of how Jesus is daily speaking through you, through his word, to you through his word, and to make changes in your life that he desires. How many of you are thankful that God makes changes in you? <laughs> Amen. Amen. The best part is that you do it. Uh, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 6. And while I know we normally stand, I'm not going to make you stand today for the reading of the word because I do have a, a long passage that I'm going to read. Uh, John, chapter 6, and I am going, we're going to take a journey through the majority of this chapter. But I'd like to start reading with verse number 22. And when you've got it, say amen. John 6, 22, say amen. <laughs> amen. Verse 22, the day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What signs showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread, from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. For the remainder, for our time together for this first half, I want to teach and preach to you on this topic five loaves and two fish. Let us pray. 
Lord Jesus, upon the authority of your word and name, I cast down every imagination and high thing that exalts itself against your word. I thank you for your word, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you for your word, which is, which, which is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Lord, help me to be nothing more and nothing less than a vessel for, for what you desire today. Open our hearts and minds to receive an understanding of your word today and every day. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen, amen. So the beginning of John chapter 6 is what is more commonly known as Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the miracle thereof. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only one that you can find in all four Gospels. When you read the first part up to where I started reading, Jesus took the bread, he broke the bread, the, two, uh, the five loaves and the two fish, and he fed the 5,000 men, Scripture says. But before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus saw the need that the people who were sitting in front of him as he sat upon the hillside looking out at them. He saw that need. He saw the need of the people. So what did he do? He asked Philip, hey, Philip, how are we going to get enough bread to feed all these people? To which Philip replied, well, it's going to cause this much for fish and, and this much per loaf. And there's a lot of people out here in front of us. Hold on. The, the calculations that were going through Philip's head were, were evident, and I'm sure some nervous sweat began to run down his face as he's like, oh, this is going to take a lot of money. This is going to take a lot of something. Philip's face, you can see Philip's face as he realized how much money it would take, that it would nearly take six months worth of one man's daily wages to feed everyone in front of him. While the Bible doesn't express it forthright, I can only imagine that Philip began to worry just a bit because coming up with that kind of money would be next to impossible, especially with the crowd that sat before him. In the location they were in, along the Sea of Galilee, the people were there firstly because they saw Jesus perform miracles, and they needed one themselves. They were hungry. They were poor. They had no food to eat. In studies that I've read, the poor people were those which dwelled outside of the city because they didn't have a place to stay. Some may have not had a place they could call home. They couldn't afford to live anywhere. So there they were, hanging on to what we can perceive as their only hope. Jesus first tested Philip's faith. After all, his disciples would be the one to further the gospel in the future. Jesus being the God of the universe and knowing the need that, that had to be met was then approached by a lad with a basket of five loaves and two fish. Jesus took the loaves and the fish, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread and miraculously fed 5,000. Which is interesting, and, and not to get too much into numbers, but John writes 5,000 men. What, what about the women and the children? If you add all that up, it's safe to assume that the number might be closer to 15,000 or 20,000 in this multitude. Now, did they know that Jesus was going to feed them? Did they know? Was there any implication that Jesus at that moment was going to feed the people that stood before them? No, but there they sat in expectation. They didn't know what to expect, but they sat there in, in some form of expectation. Amen. Church, when you see someone receive their miracle and you've been seeking something too, you don't know when it's going to happen for you, 
but you seek and you expect to receive and you worship him as if it's already done, as if it's already happened. May it encourage you rather than discourage when you see someone else receive their healing that you haven't. When Jesus began to disperse and multiply these five loaves and two fish, I can imagine their eyes opened in astonishment and thankfulness. <laughs> put, put, put yourselves in the shoes of that multitude for a moment, and you haven't eaten for a day or two, and you get this bread and this fish that's given to you, and it's given to everyone around you, and you're like, whoa, whoa, this, this is great, right? But, the, but, the, but there's one thing that remained in them, and hear me, Jesus knew it and fed them anyway. Jesus knew that before he could unveil more secrets of the kingdom of God, before he could address that one thing, that he had to get their minds off of their empty bellies. He knew that he had to feed them. If he were to say another word beforehand, it would seemingly fall on deaf ears. I liken it to today. You hear these churches where if the preacher preaches longer than 40 minutes, People begin to tune out and start to think about other things like their meal afterwards and things like that. Now, I'm not saying that about anyone here, as I don't know if that's any of you, if you think that way. But if the shoe fits, then that ball's in your court. But, but, but sometimes the preacher will get to preaching along, and he will lose track of time. And before you know it, everyone is looking at their watch thinking, man, this guy went over 25 minutes. Um, hello? thinking, ah, oh, I've, I've got a roast at home I've got to get to in the crock pot. It's going to burn. It's not going to burn. Or, man, I'm sure getting hungry, right? Anybody ever been there? Or am I the only one? Now, I don't stand before you today to tell you that, again, I haven't been in your shoes because I have. If there's anyone who can get distracted, it's me. Okay? <laughs> Amen. But, but, but there they were. He fed the multitude. There they were with baskets to take for later. There they were in the midst of the miracle that Jesus had just performed. I do not stand here today to discount that miracle that Jesus did here, nor any other miracles. This was a miracle. No man could have done this without the miracle worker. But in looking at this, Jesus' plan was not to just feed the 5,000. No, Jesus had a greater plan as he always does. As we continue to read, there was indeed a greater plan and a purpose that Jesus had in store. So what happened when the multitude approached Jesus the next day? They come over to him and ask, Hey, Jesus, how did you get here? How did you, you, you didn't go with the disciples. How did you get over here? You weren't in the boat with the disciples. Uh, you didn't leave with them. And there's only one boat over here. There's not two. And then in verse 26, Jesus cuts right through that. Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not. not be, you seek me not because of the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus just dropped a truth bomb in their laps. You didn't come here because of the miracle I performed. Jesus said, you came here because I fed you. Now you may be thinking, wasn't it a miracle that Jesus was able to feed them? Absolutely. <laughs> because Je but Jesus knew that it was not the miracle that had brought them. They knew where they could get food, and they wanted more. Church, I'm thankful that the Lord feeds me. I'm thankful that he provides for me. Amen? 
I'm thankful that he provides for me, that he gives me what I need, that he fills me, that he, lifts, that he lifts me up when I'm down. And church, but hear me, just as Jesus discerned that they were not there because of the miracle, may we still remember to praise him for who he is. Church, don't get so focused on what God does for you that you forget who he is. Oh, we sing songs like Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. You know what I'm talking about. Just to tell God who he is, we sing that in faith and expectancy of what we know God can do, but first praise him for it because of who he is. Please understand, we should, we should thank the Lord for what he has done. But when's the last time you thanked him for who he is? When's the last time you thanked him when your miracle hasn't come to pass? When James talks about faith and works, I think about not only by our faith in Jesus, but also his faithfulness to us. Is your faith in Jesus based on the works that he's done? Is, is it based on what he can do for you? Or does it include what you can and should do for him? These people were just fed one day prior. This multitude was fed one day prior. They were there for more food. They were there to be provided for again. They couldn't wait to get their hands on more fish and bread. I'm very hard pressed to believe that Jesus was their only source of food. But Jesus was preparing them for more. Habitually speaking, it was a habit for them to ask for food. To wait to be given something. To, to, to beg for that food. Some of them may have worked, but didn't make a whole lot. They had to ration their food to make it last. Their reality was shaken by what had just occurred. Their habit told them, it's a new day, let's go and ask for more food. Maybe Jesus will give us some more. And as I was reading and praying, God would not let me shake that word off. And that word is habits. Praying, fasting, coming to church, reading the word and more are those things which as believers in Christ, we should be doing. Then there are those things like putting a cup in the same place every time you get it out, putting your toothbrush away in the same place every time you're getting out, making sure you put the cap on the toothpaste and those types of things. Or, you know, you close the drawers that you open so you don't run into them later on. That happens to me often because I have a hard time closing cabinets. Anyways, so, uh, but, but you know what I'm talking about? You know, uh, sitting in the same pew every Sunday, you know, when, when your world gets rocked a little bit because somebody's sitting in your seat. Well, anybody out there? <laughs> Does that, so I want to ask, does everybody have their church pew seat belts on this morning? Because things may get a little bit rocky here for a moment, okay? Now, think about your daily habits, okay? Think about them. Church, the things that I mentioned above, the prayer, the fasting, the, the, the church, the reading and studying of the word, are the things that every believer should create a healthy habit of doing. They are healthy habits. Now, they go a, go a few steps further as you're, you're not just doing them to do them. Right? They're not just done without any thought. They're not just done without any intention. They are done willingly and with intention because the believer desires to grow deeper in God. And that can only come by those things. But then there are those days where one can just go through the motions where this may be nothing more than a habit. Where you do it because you know that if you don't, you're going to lose it. 
But then there are those habits that one may have that are not healthy. They are not good. There are those things which have taken your time away from God. They're not healthy because, number one, the flesh without the spirit is just that, flesh. Number two, these unhealthy habits have done damage spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, and psychologically. And number three, your body as a whole, your mind, body, brain, organs, nervous system, has grown accustomed to these habits so much that your body doesn't see it as an issue anymore. That's how unhealthy habits work. They don't just appear one day and gone the next. No, it's more like a slow walk down this path, a slow fade. It's a slow walk down here, a slow walk down here. It's not just you're here one day and you jump over here the next. These habits continue to form and destroy a person. Sometimes going too far and God forbid to the point of no return. Church, who is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy? Say it louder. Satan. It's certainly not Jesus. Church, I know that this may seem like a bit of a reality check for some. It is for me too. But in this shift that we're experiencing, in this great revival that is at the very forefront of the church as a whole, it is imperative. It is crucial. It is biblical. Today is the day that bad habits must begin to be worked through. Bad habits, if not handled, lead to other bad habits. And those bad habits lead to others, and so on and so forth. The same is true with good. Good habits lead to other good habits. And so on and so forth. Is it any wonder that why good habits are so hard to form? Why good habits are so hard to keep on doing? Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder why the enemy of your souls tries to get you to continue down the, the road of bad habits? You see, church, the enemy's not stupid. We may call him stupid. If you don't struggle with smoking or drinking, the enemy's not going to tempt you with that because that's not a struggle. If you don't struggle with, with this distraction or that distraction, the enemy will not tempt you with those things. On the other hand, if you struggle with needing to know every last bit of every drama in the church, you better believe that the enemy is going to tempt you at all times with that, with that need to know. <laughs> you see, church, you may not struggle with these, 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 these fleshly things like what I just talked about, the smoking and the drinking and different things like that, but you may have the longest tongue in the church. You know, I heard, that, I heard this preached, uh, 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 I don't know how long ago, but the preacher said it like this, you may have the longest tongue in the church, so you may need to know all the gossip. You may need to know every last detail of every little thing, and you might go up to somebody and say, brother, I'm praying for you, praying for you in Jesus' name. I, I, you know, they, they might say that, but they're going to go over and say, hey, hear what Pastor Kennedy did? This is the reality check, church. The, 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 these bad habits are those which need to be taken care of. And if that's you here today, we serve a God who can help you take care of that. He will help you. He will deliver you from that. But you've got to desire it for yourselves. And you've got to be on the watch to say, yeah, I know I'm going to be tempted in such ways. I'm going to be tempted to do this and that. 
It's okay to have that reality check because we've got to have that at the forefront of our minds that yes, we serve a God who is able, but also that, hey, these are, these are my weaknesses, but when I'm weak, he is strong. The enemy of your souls knows that he does not have long. It's not like that hasn't been made apparent to him. He knows that his days are numbered. He knows that if he can distract you now, he can distract you with something later. You see, church, humans as a whole are creatures of habit. And I know this is, this is some deep stuff today. Uh, and thanks for sticking with me. We, we, like to we, like some, we like things to stay the same, right? Changes are hard. Some of you may have walked in here last weekend and this weekend and saw that the platform was rearranged. Some of you may have seen the changes in the lyrics that show up on the screen behind me during worship. Some of you may have thought, whoa, why did they change the platform? Or, yeah, I'm sure, I'm not sure that I'm a fan of the new way they do the lyrics now. But, but these, are these are the examples that come to mind. You may have said, well, this is going to take some time to get used to. If you've ever said anything like that to anything, not just those examples, that's just one. But if you've ever said anything like that, but any change that's taken place, that, that is your habitual nature. Talking, and, and, and not that that's bad, but that mindset was in the multitude that found Jesus the following day. It was their habitual nature to seek for more. Because it was never enough. They were not following him because of the miracle. They were following him because... He fed them. It was, not, it was a habit for them to do so. These people were, again, that had no food. Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish to feed them all. Yet even through all that, they were, there they were again, seeking for more. They, they surrounded Jesus expecting food again. Now, was that necessarily wrong? Not necessarily. It, it was all they knew. But Jesus had greater understanding in store. We see in verse 27, Jesus says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath the Father sealed. In other words, worry not about these things that don't last forever. Now remember, Jesus first said this to his disciples as we read in Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, not what ye shall put on, is not the life more than the food and the body more than the raiment? Behold the birds of heaven, that they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not ye of much more value than they? And which of you, bring, by being anxious, can add one cubit unto the measure of his life? And why are ye anxious concerning raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Yet I say, excuse me, but if God doth so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
Seek ye first, put that scripture back up there, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and how many things? All these things shall be added unto you. You know, these things that you have worry about, these things that you have concern with, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. And in verse, 20, verse 34, be not therefore anxious for the morrow. For the morrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. How many of you believe Jesus is our provider? That is who he is. But it's up to you to trust in him to provide. It's up to you to not worry about such things. I know that he has provided for you in the past. I've seen it evident in your lives. I know that he will continue to do so. Do I know that hardships happen? Yes. Do I know that the struggle is real when you really don't know what tomorrow holds? How you want to think about, oh, I don't know how this is going to go tomorrow. When today's not even over with yet. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with some of your heart, right? No, that's right. It says with all of your heart. The Bible says to lean on your own understanding, right? No, it says to lean not on your own understanding. And it also says in some of your ways, acknowledge him. No, in all of your ways. Well, church, when we read all of your ways, that means nothing is left behind, right? And with all of these things, he will do what? Finish it. Direct your paths. It's lining up with him and living a life of reckless abandon for him. Putting those things aside, not of him, so that your focus, your life, your intentions, your habits, your lifestyle lines up with the line upon line, the precept upon precept, the holy word of God. When we think of reckless abandon, the, the, the term reckless means careless of consequences. Let me say that again. Living in reckless abandon for God means you're careless of the consequences. You're going to live for him no matter what. No matter what happens around you, you're going to live, and living for him is trusting in him, putting your faith in him, finding your hope in him, finding your healing in him, uh, finding your truth in him. But the question is raised then, and how can I live this type of life? What do I need to do? I want to shift us into another gear here, and what I'm about to share is in no particular order, as they are equally imperative to living this type of life. Number one is living with reckless abandon for Christ is living a life that is passionate about love. We are told in 1 John 4 to love God and to love people. We are told in 1 Corinthians 13 about the virtues of love and then reminded that the greatest of these is love. Song of Solomon says, I have found the one whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. This life is one that we pray for the heart to love God with such desperation, to cling so tightly to the King of Kings, to be so close to Jesus in that intimate relationship with Him, it is understanding that when you do this, nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It is also yearning for other people to have this same love for Him, to encourage others that no matter the situation in life or what similarities or differences there are, that I choose to love others as Christ loves me. Because they too are made in the image of God. You may not have the same lifestyle that I do. 
And I may not agree with the lifestyle of others, but church, in times past and times to come, there will be people that walk through the doors of TCOO that have certain lifestyles that you may not agree with. Put on the mind of Christ. See them as God sees them. Love them. Show them the way. Lead them there. Walk with them. Go on that journey of truth with them. Let me just show it to you like this. Come here, AJ. AJ, let's say you're a, a, a newcomer to the church and you don't, you don't really know who God is and you kind of have, you have a misunderstanding. You've, you've got some trust issues and things. I'm not saying this is you, but you've got some trust issues and you say, I just don't know if I can trust God. Well, let me show you, brother. Let me show you what God's done for me. You see, I put my trust in him in this situation and guess what? He pulled through. I put my trust in him in this situation. Yeah, I went through a low valley, but he was still there. You see what I'm saying here, church? We walk with them, and then when they trip up and they stumble, you, you kind of walk down there with them, and you, you don't necessarily fall down, but stumble. Get on the floor real quick. You pick them back up and say, hey, brother, let me show you. Let me show you. Hey, that's okay. You stumbled, but you can get back up again. You're always there for them. Amen? Do you have somebody in your life that, 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 that you're... That you're witnessing to that you're that you're teaching a bible study or something like that and maybe they're tripping up on a few things if you do are, are you going to stop teaching them because they trip up on these things you better not amen you know i want to see others come to the knowledge of jesus you can still some love someone even though their life choices don't really line up with yours remember we are to love the sinner and hate the sin not the other way around they need Jesus. You could be their last hope, their last chance. Why would you want to miss that? It's not about agreeing with the way they live or agreeing with everything they do, but loving them to the word and through the word. The next thing is living with reckless abandon is one that looks to God and not to self. No, I'm not saying that you should not take care of yourself. That is not what I'm saying. But more importantly, that you, the closer you draw to him, the more you will become like him. You may take a look at your life and critique your life. You may even go as far as to look at others and critique theirs. But in the focus to our Savior, your life will bear the fruit of what overtakes your vision. What you see, who you look to, will overtake every other aspect of your life. In the molding process of sanctification, we look further at how we can change us and look to how He can change us. We, we look further away from how we can change, but how he can change us. Oftentimes, we'll, this will include this next point, which is abandoning all else. The question that came to my mind as I looked at this point is, if everything falls away today, and you lose everything, and you're left with nothing, if all else is stripped away, and you are left with the clothes on your back, what does your relationship look with Jesus look like in that situation? You see, living a life of reckless abandon for God, you have to abandon your plans and dreams. You can plan and plan and plan and sometimes plan some more, but when God says no, may you take heed to that. When God says go, may you also take heed to that. May his plan for your life be your we read in Ephesians 2.10 that God has created you in his image and for the good works that he has prepared beforehand. If we are honest, we can all suffer from a bit of forgetfulness. At times, we 
when we try to chart our lives course with goals that culture has told us are good, a stable home, a retirement savings, these aren't necessarily bad things, children who have a good education, nice clothes, delicious meals, a successful career, so on and so forth. And hear me, am I saying that you cannot have any or do any of that? That's not what I'm saying. But for, for I know people who have nice homes, who have great careers, who, who can cook really great food. And you know what? Jesus is in every aspect of their lives. I can see it. I know it. They testify to it. But it is at the point that these overtake us and take us away from God that we need to be careful and mindful. That when it becomes, or that's when it becomes an issue. It goes back to taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If we are not obeying his plan for our life, then it's safe to say that that's not okay. It's easy to fall into the trap of these great things the world has to offer. But imagine if you, were allow you allowed God to shake everything up in your life and show you that these traps are just that. That in reality, they are stopping you from living a life of reckless abandon for God. They can tie you down from the work that God has for you to do if you choose to pursue them instead of him. When Jesus tells his disciples to deny themselves, take up their cross, and take up their cross, he desires a deeper commitment to the kingdom. Something has to go, Jesus says. Something has to change. I believe that the Lord has been working on all of us in our pursuit of greater understanding of deeper relationship with him. Remember this. We abandon what we value that is temporal to embrace what he prom promises as eternal. We abandon the temporal things for his eternal promises. Amen? If, if he said it, then that settles it. Which leads me to my next point, and that is this life of reckless abandon is based only in Scripture. It is saying that, is this what I'm choosing to do? Is this, is what I am choosing to do daily what he desires? Is how I am raising my children the way the word tells me to? Is how I am leading my home the way the word tells me to? Is how I interact with my coworkers the way his word tells me to? Truth be told, if there is anything that you think is walking the fine line between being okay and not being okay, and you feel a nudge in your spirit, sometimes one chooses to ignore that nudge and continues, to, continues on with whatever they were doing. This leads to what I talked about moments ago, those bad habits, they're one, the one that one chooses to do. We, we choose to do those things. I believe that oftentimes, if not all times, it starts with a, should I really be doing this? The final piece to living this life of reckless abandon is being content with God and not with circumstance. Have you ever thought this? If only this were different, I could be so happy. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Not that I speak of respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul encourages the Philippians to find their contentment in Christ, not what's happening around them. To allow him to be the sole source of their contentment. In the midst of all the activity that happens on a daily basis in your life, in the midst of the climate of the nation and the world, in the midst of the hardships and the struggles you are enduring, your heart needs time to be still before him. You need to take time to thank him. You need to take time to realign yourselves up with him. One must take time to remind themselves that it is all in him. 
When Jesus told the multitude not to worry about food or the material things, it was not in the sense that they were doing something wrong, for they knew no different. But Jesus again went on to say, as he said many times throughout the word, I am the bread of life. I am the provider of your needs. I am the one you can put your trust in. I am the one who has made a way where you couldn't see it. I am that I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I am that I am. The things that the Lord has done for you cannot be found or matched on any earthly level. The abundant life that Jesus speaks of cannot be found in indulging ourselves in this life and what it has to offer. There's lots of offers out there. There's lots of indulgences out there. Satisfaction cannot be fulfilled so hard as we try but anything, by anything that life has to offer. No, because Jesus is the one that is all sufficient. The blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings on blessings, on blessings, on blessings, say it with me, on blessings, on blessings, all come from God. In the shift that we are in, oh, how can I express the imp this importance to you enough? Jesus is everything you need. May Jesus be everything you desire above all else. I pray for protection over your hearts and minds. To not give in to the tugs that the world has to offer. That which has no means to an end. Those traps that the enemy lays. I pray that we all put on the mind of Christ. Pursuing after His righteousness. Asking Him to cleanse us. To make us whole. Both inside and out. Asking Him to realign us. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life for Jesus without any worry of the consequences. I want to live a life for Jesus without any worry of what tomorrow holds. I, I don't want to worry about tomorrow, for the Bible says today has enough struggles of their own. Anybody have a struggle that they're going through today? Anybody have something that they don't know if they're going to make it through today today without Jesus? Well, I don't think we can make it through the day without Jesus. Amen? I know, we, I know Scripture tells us the, the consequences, but may we live for Jesus without any regret, without worry of... What will happen? You know, we read about these things that will happen, but may we, may we live a life so dedicated to Jesus that regardless of this, we're going to live for him without any worry of tomorrow. Again, for today holds enough issues of their own. May we seek Jesus for who he is, not for what he has done. May we seek Jesus with an unconditional pursuit. Would you stand with me all over this place? As we come to a close, I want to pray earnestly. And will you pray with me? This, in this time, this time of prayer is between you and him right now. Let us pray. Jesus, we call on you. Lord, I pray that you would keep your hedge of protection around our hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus. May our desires line up for, with your desires for us. I pray, Lord, that there is, if there is any cloudiness in the plan that you have set forth, 
for those under the sound of my voice that you would bring clarity, that we would put things aside that may be causing this cloudiness. Lord, that our sole focus would be on you. Lord, and as we focus on you, all of these things will fall into place, Lord Jesus. As we keep you at the very forefront of our mind with every decision, with every thought, taking every thought captive, with every action that we take, with every word that we speak, oh God, that we would put on your mind, that we would keep your mind in us and on us, Lord Jesus. Lord, you will see us saved. You will see us delivered. You will deliver us from the enemy's hands. You will deliver us from the traps of the enemy so long as we seek you, so long as we seek you relentlessly and, and pursue you at all times, Lord Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Jesus, for hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you have made for us so that we can live for you. Put your hands together, church, and clap your hands to the Lord and give God some praise in this place. It's that relentless pursuit. It's that relentless pursuit for Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to take about a 10-minute break here. Uh, 11 minutes, I guess it says. That, that might be the time. But about 10 minutes. Come back for our second half, and uh, we'll see you soon. Amen.